Morning. Guys, it feels like fall. That's our real thing. If you haven't celebrated that yet, you need to let a little joy make its way into your heart this morning because it's been a long summer. I don't even remember when it wasn't summer. Do you? I don't. It's so good to have it. So let's not jinx it. Hopefully it's a great week. I want to share a story with you that is going to make you think less of me. Um, it is. I, I'm just going to own it. That's not me being dramatic. It is true. Um, and, and so uh, I also just, before I share this story, I want you to know, this is a story about something that happened between me and our high school pastor, Stacy, uh, who give each other a hard time a lot, have a long history with each other, often give each other a hard time, and that she's given me permission to share this story. Yes, it's one of those. So um, hang with me. It was about a year and a half ago that I went to summer camp, went to high school summer camp, and I got to be a small group leader. It's been a long time since I did that, and I was really excited. It's a privilege. If you've never volunteered in youth ministry and you have it in you, at some point in time, you should. Because we all need that reminder every now and like to be in an arena, to be around a group of people that give us that reminder of all of the energy and passion and impulsivity that every single one of us at one point in time just had in spades. And it's exciting. It's fun. And there's so much good stuff there. I, I love it. So I got to go and be a small group leader. Now, the very first day of the trip, I walked, uh, you know, I was just thinking to myself, how can I mess with Stacy on this particular trip? Because when you've led youth trips for, you know, I was a high school pastor for seven years. There's a part of you that when you don't have to lead one, you're like, oh, I'm probably going to cause a problem because that sounds like a blast, like that kind of a thing. And so I went and I said, you know what? What could I do? So I walked onto the bus that Stacy was on and I grabbed the intercom and I reached for the microphone. And I know that she's not a huge touchy-feely person. And I know that like when students and everybody are all trying to like hug her and all that other stuff, that there's a part of her that's just like, when is this moment going to be over? Because I just know her. And so I got on there and I said, hey, by the way, good to see all of you guys. Hope it's an awesome week. But for any of you, like I would just so love it and Stacy would so love it if you would just give her a big group hug at any point in time on the trip. She would love that. That would be amazing. And a couple of really energetic students immediately get out of their seats. And Stacy's face gets really like, I get really big and she smiles and then she glares and the next thing you know really energetic kids are trying to hug her and I just walk off the bus mission accomplished like great time it's gonna be a good trip right but Stacy in that moment goes no 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 how do I make this stop if he did that I need to do something bigger right I need to do something else and so she tells them I will give anybody candy which is like how you bribe young people a lot right sugar like I'll give anybody candy if they're willing to actually go hug Ryan and go make that point happen. I don't know why I messed with her like this in the first place. If you don't know this about me, I'm not a big fan of a lot of people coming up and hugging me either. Like that's an uncomfortable moment for me. I don't know why I was like, let's choose that particular thing. And Stacy just turned it around and goes, so why don't you go do that? And so we stopped at a, at a gas station to fill up or a rest stop. And, and all of a sudden, next thing I know, kids are getting off the bus and random kids are just weirdly walking up and being like, she told us to do this and then just hugging me. And I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of me knowing that that makes me uncomfortable. So I just very stoically goes, are you done yet? Like, how do I wait for this moment to go over without encouraging these things? And you would think in that moment that I was like, oh, this is over. But I didn't. Right? That's not what I did. In fact, at the next stop, the, like tons of people got off of the bus and they all circled around me like some strange cult doing a group hug. And it was a really weird moment. Anybody driving by would have been like, that place is weird. And it was. And I thought to myself, this should be over, right? Okay, you know, she, now we're even, everything's fine, but do you think I did that? No, I didn't. Instead, I was like, okay, how do I up the ante on this? Like, how do I, how do I respond in a bigger way? And so I thought, what does Stacy hate more? 
than, that, than like touchy-feely moments. And I know this because I've known her for a very long time and I know that she hates clowns. I know that she hates clowns. I know that feels like it came out of nowhere, but it is true. Uh, she hates clowns. And I, I just can't emphasize that enough. It's not she dislikes them, hates clowns uh, and is absolutely terrified of them. So I walked onto the bus after that immediate big large group hug and I said, hey, here's $20. So she's giving you candy. All right, if she's gonna give you candy, here's $20 to anybody who over the course of this week is willing to somehow scare Stacy utilizing a clown. Anybody who's willing to do that, this $20 is yours, just let me know and make sure you take a photo because I'd love to see what happened. And that was it. That's what I said and I walked off and there was all this energy initially and then it just died off. I didn't hear anything about it until the very last day of camp. Woke up and I go walking to the buses which are all being loaded because everybody's going to drive back to Tucson and students are all running up to me with phones in their hands of video going, you owe us $20. And I said, what happened? And they go, we got her so good. And I saw the video and the very first thing that popped into my head was the thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? Wait for it. The night before, what had occurred was Stacy decided it was time to go to bed. As a youth pastor, at the end of a camp, you're exhausted. You are. You've been on all week. You've been solving problems, running around with students, trying to spend as much of your relational energy in every direction that you possibly can, and you get very, very little sleep. And the very last night of that thing, you are so tired. When you finally go to bed, it's just like lights out. Like you're so exhausted and she's finally going to bed that last night and suddenly someone comes running into her room and says, Stacy, Stacy, you got to come out here. A student who has diabetes has lost consciousness and is laying on the floor. And Stacy, who formerly worked at a hospital at one point in time, goes into like her medical like understanding and thinking and starts yelling at people as she runs down the hallway, get this, make this phone call. And she runs and sure enough, there's a student pretending to be unconscious who actually does in fact have diabetes, pretending to be unconscious, laying there on the floor. And Stacy goes into full panic. I need to save this person's life mode. Do you know how awful that is? I mean, this is a hard moment, right? So she's in an utter panic and she looks and Stacy said, I remember looking and there was just something weird about the way she was laying and what was happening. And then all of a sudden, all of the lights go out and they start playing screaming sound effects and the clown from It steps into the room. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is like some other level stuff. And Stacy in that moment curls into a ball and just starts crying. Yeah. Right, curls into a ball and just starts crying. And immediately all these staff and all these kids who are all sleeping, like all the girls who are sleeping in their dorms and all that are immediately around her and be like, got you! Which is a hard moment, right? If it had been me and this whole thing had happened to me, I'd have lost it. I'm just gonna tell you straight up. I would have lost my mind. Because to go from needing to save somebody's life and like, that's not a good moment. That's not a thing we would joke about. Most, like, you know what I mean? And then to have this, like, I would have, but she, she was a really good sport about all this. She collects herself, calms herself, goes, wow, that was a lot. You guys really got me. I'm going to bed. And she walks back to her room and you would hope that that's how her night ends, but unfortunately it didn't. She goes back to her room. While she was in the other room, another kid dressed like the clown from It had... <laughs> gone in her closet and shut the doors. So Stacy goes back into her room after this entire moment and the lights go off and she goes to sleep. And in that final moment where she gets to lay her head to rest, the closet doors open up and once again, a clown is coming across her room and the same reaction as the other time. And this is awful, right? I know I just did a plug for like, you want to volunteer at student ministry and all of you are like, no, uh-uh. I don't know if I'm ready for that kind of trauma um, at this moment. 
And that is how Stacy's night officially ended. So the next morning I wake up and I'm walking over to the buses and these kids are all running at me with cameras, like going like, can I show you what happened? And like I said, my immediate thought was, oh my goodness, what have I done? Because I didn't laugh at that particular moment. I immediately was like, Stacy, where is she? I need to make sure she's like, is she okay? How is this? Like, and and try to resolve through some of this. I want you to know, because some of you have high levels of empathy here in this particular room, I want you to know that yes, she's okay. <laughs> yes, she in fact did give me permission to share this particular story. And yes, I have apologized about a thousand times for instigating this, this grand event. But I'm sharing it with you here today because I want you to see what happens. And it's kind of a whimsical, hard moment, all of those things all at the same time that allows us to illustrate something. So think about this. I walked, on, I walked up and was like, okay, I want to do something that messes with her, right? I want to do something that bothers her to give her a hard time, like practical joke. And we have that history with each other. But I say, I'm going to do that. So I do. I take that step. And then what did she do? She reacted, right? She reacted to that moment. And then instead of just reacting with like equal moment, she ups the ante. I'll give candy to all the people who do this. Let's get some more energy behind this particular thing. And that started to happen to me. And what did I do? I reacted. Well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. Here's $20 to anybody who will make this moment happen. And let's move it from just giving somebody a hug to something that actually creates your terror. And it just keeps escalating. In the end... Right? With this whole, like, if you're going to do this, I'm going to do that type of mentality. Everything went nuclear and no one was really happy. <laughs> Neither of us were like smiling at the end of that moment. We all got in cars and was like, that got out of hand. That was crazy. How do we not do that again? See, today's passage is especially relevant to this particular story. It's also very relevant to our lives. It's in Romans chapter 12. We've been working through Romans chapter 12 about what it looks like to be a person who genuinely love, loves others. Today, we are in verse 17, and I want to read to you what it says. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screens. If you're at home, you can follow along whatever you have in front of you. Repay no one evil for evil. This is verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I'll read it again because it's short. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Paul, he's the writer of Romans, at this particular moment in this passage is telling us, if you want to be an expression of genuine love and you want to love others the way that God has loved you, then don't repay evil for evil. Don't up the ante. Don't go, if you're going to do this, then I'm going to do that. Don't fall into that trap or that cycle, but instead give what you're going to do some thought contemplate it, consider it, that ultimately you might do that which you see as honorable and what others see as honorable as well, right? This is, a, this is an important thing. He starts by saying, repay no one evil for evil. And I want to talk about that for just a moment because I think there's a part of us that when we hear the word evil, we'll just gloss over this. We'll, it'll be lost on us because we use the word evil a little differently now than the writer of this passage is using. See, the, the word here that's used for evil ultimately just means if you're trying to cause somebody harm. That's, that's what it is. It's if you're trying to do wrong by somebody or cause them harm in an intentional way. And that's what's getting translated by translators here as the word for evil. It's important that we acknowledge that because when we think of evil, what do we think of? We think of like demonic, right? Like when was, when was the last time you called somebody evil? Or you looked at somebody and you're like, that was evil, that thing you did. When we say something like that, we're like kind of speaking about all of that person, aren't we? 
There's a part of it when we say something like that, we almost have a spiritual warfare component attached to it. Or like, this is so bad that it's like all of them is evil. This is almost demonic or it is and we'll use it that way. It's important that we acknowledge this because otherwise what happens is we'll find ourselves reading verse 17 and we'll go, that's a passage written for a person like Hitler, right? That's a passage written for someone that when you look at it, you're like, that was an act of sheer evil, where it's just like atrocious in this particular way. And what will happen is we'll attribute it to moments like that. Don't repay evil for evil, but we'll be thinking about somebody else and we'll miss the fact that Paul's actually asking each and every one of us here to chew through this, to look at our own stories and our own moments and our own lives and wrestle with it just a little bit. So another way of saying it, let's just read it this way, is this. When someone seeks to harm you, don't repay them with more harm. When someone seeks to damage you, don't repay them with more damage. If someone is seeking to do something bad to you, don't repay them by seeking to do something bad to them. Think of the story that I shared with you, right? If you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. And each time it's just upping the ante. Each time the level of energy, the volume of that situation is getting higher, getting a little louder. Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't fall into that. But also think of your own life. I mean, if we're really honest, do we ever see that pattern in our own lives? Do you see it in your workplace? Do you see it in your families? Your friendships? Do you see it here? Do you see it in your communities? Do you see it in your neighborhoods? I mean, think about the moment where somebody talks behind your back and you go, wait, they said what behind my back? And then to the person that conveyed that to you or that made you realize that, you go, well, if they're going to say that, then you know what you should know about them? Has that ever happened? you ever been a part of that? Or wait, they took advantage of me? If they're going to take advantage of me in that way, well, then you know what I'm going to do to them? Well, you know what I'm going to do? If you're going to do this, then I'm going to do that. Or your spouse or your friends or your kids said something that hurt you in your core, like wounded you, and you found yourself saying, how dare they? And then out of reaction, out of that moment, you immediately garnered up something that would hurt them and cut them like a knife and you threw it right back at them daggers. And it's just that exchange back and forth. Or even the subtlety of driving, right? Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Or for some people, it's just they gave you a weird face and you're like, all right, if you're going to do that to me, the next five to 10 minutes is going to make both of our lives miserable. I don't know what actions you choose, but you know, we all see it. It happens. Or here's my personal favorite, friends. And I think it's because I lived in Chicago in a high rise, like at one point in time, right? So lots of neighbors, lots of stars. But neighbors, you'll have a neighbor that you think is too loud or disrespectful or weird or whatever that is. And you're like, if they're going to do that, and then you crank your music, ha right? Or if they're going to be obnoxious with whatever they're doing over here, watch what I can do. Let's go toe to toe here. We do this. We see this around us. If you don't see it in you, I guarantee you've seen it in your life. You see, when we feel like somebody is doing something bad to us, when somebody's doing something that harms us or to damage us, our tendency is either to run away or to then just say, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this and attack and engage to react in that way. This is why, friends, when we feel most threatened, it tends to actually be when we come to threaten others the most in our lives. When we feel most hurt in life, it tends to be the moments that we will then also lash out and hurt others the most. And you see this. When we feel most wounded, we tend to wound others too. It's this thing that we do. It's because more often than not, our default way of navigating life is to let our reactions create our actions. This is really important for us to see this. 
our default way is to let our reactions create our actions. We do this a lot. And this is a problem. It's a problem because it doesn't really work. It doesn't really do what we hoped it would do. It doesn't really produce the result in the end that we want. It just kind of starts a cycle that keeps going where you're like, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. And then what's the other person do? Well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. And then you go, oh, how dare you? If you're going to do that, and we could just, I, I mean, I could spend the rest of the sermon just being like, that's what happens. It keeps going. It starts this cycle. Here's the truth of it. It's actually a defense mechanism designed to protect us from feeling vulnerable, right? Because when someone goes to harm you, you feel weak. When someone goes to harm you, you feel attacked. You can feel victimized. And so there's a way to assume power and strength by then trying to go, no, if you're going to do that, I'll victimize you. Like you get your strength or your power back. But isn't that fleeting? How often do we walk away from that situation or that moment going, I really like who I am right now? We don't. We play it back. We find ourselves with regrets, struggles. Things start to pop up in us. We're just like, how did that happen? Why did I let that get out of hand? And then we find ourselves in moments going, if I just not done this particular thing, if I just not said that, some of you have experienced a moment where there's somebody that you really cared about and they hurt you. Because whenever somebody, whenever you let, you're like close enough that you can really care about somebody and they care about you, that's a very vulnerable personal place, isn't it? That means they have the capacity to hurt you as well. And at times, because we're human beings, they will. Some of us have found ourselves in relationships where someone we were close with really hurt us. And then we reacted and we let our reactions create our actions and so we hurt them back. And then they hurt us. And now we're in this space where we're looking going, I no longer have a relationship with this person and I miss it. I no longer have that connection with this individual anymore because it feels like there's just a mountain of reactions between us to overcome. And I don't even know how to sort it all out at this particular point in time. And it gets hard. I can't tell you how many times I talk with somebody and they go, I haven't spoken to my brother or my sister in years. And I can see the sadness well up in their face as they say these things. Or how many parents I've heard say, I haven't spoken to my kids. Or how many kids I've heard say, I've not, I've not spoken to my mom or dad in forever. And it's because it just feels like there's this mountain between you. Because one person fired a shot and then the next person did and then the next person did and that cycle just created something so large you don't know what to do with it anymore. It doesn't produce the thing that we ultimately want. Have you seen this story play out in friendships? Relationships? Romantic relationships? Families? Marriages? Have you seen this before? I have. I have. So here's what I think Paul's getting at in this verse. And it's the same thing that I want to put in front of each of us to challenge each of us with here as we seek to be people who genuinely love other people. Uh, and it's this, if you, want to be, if you want to express genuine love, pause the reaction so that you can choose the action you most want. That's it. That's the one point I'm going to make for this entire day. Because if you do nothing else, if you walk away with nothing else, and if five days from now a moment happens and you find yourself going, wait, I should pause, then, then we'll just call this a success. We'll call this great. Pause the reaction so that you can choose the action that you actually want. The thing you really want to do. Paul writes, don't repay evil with evil, but give thought to what is honorable, to do what is honorable. That word there, forgive thought, some of your Bibles will say, but consider. The word that translators are translating is, but give thought to, or consider, actually just quite literally means, but think beforehand. That's what it is, to think beforehand about what, is, what would be honorable. Paul's essentially telling us that before you ever get to that moment, think about who you want to be and what you want to do, so that when the moment arises, you know what to do. You know what step you want to take. 
Another way of looking at that is say, think about who you want to be right now so that when that moment comes where you want to be a blind reaction to something, you already know in your head and your heart the kind of choice that you really want to make. It might give you the gumption to actually pause. I learned something uh, over time, and I've been doing this practice. There's a discipline I go through. I've just started this in the last couple of years here, and I think it was out of necessity. Uh, And it's because I have gone through a lot of conflict in life. Uh, Part of working as a pastor is you find yourself either in the midst of a lot of conflict or occasionally people being frustrated with you about how things are going or what's not being had. Religion is a complicated deal, friends with a lot of emotions and passions and energy tied to all of that. So I've walked through, and a lot of people, a lot of leaders, a lot of people have lots and lots and lots of conflict. Uh, Like, it's just, it's a thing. Now, so for much of my life, what ended up happening is I would just optimistically be like, you know what, I'm just going to throw myself into that and hope for the best. And then just kind of whatever happened would happen. And most of the time, I'd end up getting hooked or caught in some moment and then living out of that reaction. You ever have that moment where you have something hard happen? Somebody says something hostile or hard to you. And then you didn't like the way that you responded. You didn't quite like how it played out. So then on the drive home or later, you replay the conversation of all the different options you would say to do that. Like, I found myself in moments where I was doing that. I was like, I don't want to do this the same way anymore. And so the last couple of years, I've started with this discipline that I do. And it's this, at the beginning of each week, I wake up and I'm like, okay, what's this week hold for me? And I open my calendar and I look at all the things that are there for me to do. And I think through what are the issues that I'm navigating and what are some of the things that I'm facing? And I think of my own personal life and what are some of the stuff I'm walking through and and what are some of the moments I know I'm going to stand in or walk into in this particular week? And I pull all of that into my head and then I ask one question. And it's this, when this week is all said and done, when all of those things have come to pass, who do I want to be? When this whole thing has happened, right? So when I navigate each of those difficult moments, when I have that one conversation, when I have a moment where somebody makes me frustrated, when I have this thing that occurs, who will I hope that I will have been? Do you know what I mean? Who do I want to be when all of that is said and done? And each week I ask myself that question. Sometimes I have to ask it more than just once a week. Sometimes there's a moment where I know I'm stepping into something difficult and I'm tempted to live out of that reaction and there's a pause that happens in me that goes, wait, when this is over, when this moment has transpired and I'm on the other side of it, who do I want to be? When the sum total of my choices and decisions and all of that has stacked up and I'm standing there on the other end, who will I hope I will have been, right? And friends, I I just want to ask you that same question actually right now. We can start with this week. When you think about this week, when this week is said and done, when it's over, and you've walked through the various things that are in front of you, the various things that are yours to walk through, right? Because we all have our moments, We all have our tensions. Some of us are walking through really difficult things right now. And if you don't, you're probably going to have a moment where somebody does something mean to you. Somebody says something bad to you. There's a comment on a social media post that seems like it's just directed straight at you. There's something that you engaged with with your family or your kids or it just felt like a dagger to you or something like that. When the sum total of all of those moments happens and you stand at the end of this next week, because today's Sunday, it's day one. Who do you want to be when all that's over? Who do you hope you will have been? This isn't designed to create regret. It's designed to ground you in that thing. You already know the answer to some of this. It's designed to allow you to consider beforehand that which is honorable so that as you step into the moment that will occur, you can go, wait, I've thought through this. I know who I want to be. I don't want to let my reaction dictate my actions. I want something more true and honest to who I am and what matters most to me here. Who do you want to be after you navigate that moment with your spouse this week, this month? this year? 
Who do you want to be after that one person talks down to you on Facebook? You're reading that, staring at it, and your fingers are ready to type frenetically. Who do you want to be after somebody's cut you off in traffic on your way home from church today? Who do you want to be when someone does something to hurt you, something that you feel like is harmful to you or frustrating to you, hard? When all's said and done, see, that's the choice they made. They made a choice to do something that hurt you. That's about them. That's what they chose to do. But I'm not talking to them. I'm asking you. This is your life. You're square in the driver's seat of your own life. We all are. In light of that, who do you want to be when all is said and done? Think about it now so that you can pause the reaction and choose the action you most want. This is what Paul's getting at. If we want to be people who love genuinely, there are going to be a lot of moments that get in the way of genuine love be a lot of moments where people, because we're people, because they're like us, because we all fly off the handle, because sometimes we pay kids $20 to scare somebody half to death like with a clown, and other times we use our words to shoot daggers. In that moment, those things are going to be a part of our lives, because we are all human beings. The question becomes, will we pause the reaction so that we can choose the action we most want? Let's look at the passage as it keeps going. It says, give thought to what is honorable, right? That word honorable. So we just talked about the moment of give thought, but to what is honorable here. The word that's used for honorable is the Greek word kalos. It's a beautiful word, quite literally. And it's because it translated, it means good and beautiful. Both of those things. Inherent within that word kalos isn't just the idea of like moral good. It's the idea of actual beauty. The idea of something so good that when you see it, you're like, oh, that's good. It's not that you're like, oh, they made a wise decision and that was a calculated move of which I approve of. No, it's when you look at it and something happens, you're like, that though, that was beautiful. Something about that gripped me. Something about that inspired me. Something about that showed me that there was a little more beauty and a little more color to paint on the canvas than I thought in the first place. Kalos, it's this word that's beautiful. It's what your Bibles are translating as to do that which is honorable. Essentially what Paul is telling us is in that moment where something ugly occurs, and you can feel the ugliness starting to grow, pause, consider ahead of time to make the choice to do that which would infuse goodness and beauty into the situation. Take an ugly moment and infuse it with something beautiful because you have it in you already. This is what genuine love looks like. Friends, isn't this what we love so much about Jesus? I mean, one of the things for sure, I mean, think about this. Isn't this what inspires us so deeply about Jesus? Isn't this why we're so captivated by his story even still? I mean, think about it. In the first century, there's a moment where the religious leaders catch somebody in adultery. What a vulnerable, hard, awful moment. And they drag this woman, not the man, but the woman, they drag her out. And they humiliate her publicly and drag her into the public square and put her in front of Jesus and say, in light of this, Jesus, this is what we caught her in. And we know they're trying to trip him up, by the way. They're messing with him, but they're like, okay, so now you get to cast judgment on her. And they're all holding stones, ready to throw stones to take this woman's life in this moment. I mean, this is hostility and aggression and pretty intense at this particular moment. And Jesus looks at this crowd gathered around and he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And all grows quiet as one by one, all the people fade into the background and walk away until it's just Jesus and this woman that's left and she's looking at him with her, her fate in his hands. And he says, look around you, who's left to condemn you? And she says, no one. And he goes, neither do I go. Such an ugly, horrific moment that had the ability to compound, if you're going to do this, I'm going to do this, up and up and up. And yet Jesus somehow in that particular moment steps in and infuses great beauty into it. 
finds a moment where we thought no good could possibly be and says, no, love exists even here, even in this place, and he does something powerful with it. It's gorgeous. That's why I'm talking about it. <laughs> or what about the idea of, or not the idea, but what happened to Jesus at the end of his life? He's been beaten, bruised, mocked, betrayed. I mean, could you think about what, what it was to be a person who sought to serve and to love others and then to watch and listen to so many of the very people that you came to serve and love all start shouting that they wanted to end your life? I'll start shouting to like, not just end your life, but to do it in a torturous way as they yell, crucify him, crucify him. And then they mock him and they beat him. And then at one point in time, as he's there just being humiliated in front of everybody, he says something absolutely profound. He doesn't do what I think so many of us would do in that particular moment where it's like, well, if they're going to do that, let me take all the wisdom of God and use my words to cut like a knife. Let me take all the power of God and use that power to absolutely crush you. How dare you? He doesn't do any of that. What does he do? He looks at them and with compassion in his heart, he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's a powerful line. Many of us know that line in our heads by heart. There's a lot of Bible verses you don't have memorized. There's a lot of moments in history that don't come to your head that way. As I said that, some of you could finish the sentence for me. Why? Because it's so stunningly beautiful that it's like it cuts through all of the ugliness of reality at times. It's so stunningly powerful that it's like it just pierces through all of that and we go, oh my gosh, there's something about that. I didn't even see that coming and yet that's love in the most profound of ways. Isn't it interesting that when we reflect on that story, do you find yourself going, man, Christ was just really weak. He was an absolute pushover. Just kind of big old victim. Isn't it interesting that none of us have that thought? What do we think in that moment? Wow, was that a moment of power and strength? Wow, was that a moment of goodness and beauty? Wow, was that something, something absolutely beautiful and profound that it would compel us to keep telling it as that story of love lives on, even now, even still. Friends, it's not different with you. Some of us are worried that when somebody gets like this, where they go to hurt us, or they do something like this, this, that if we respond these ways, if we actually choose to find love, if we choose to infuse that moment with goodness and beauty, that it somehow makes us weak? That it somehow makes us pushovers? That it's somehow us? demonstrating to the world, people around us, whoever that person is, that you can just walk all over us? Is that your view of Christ? Don't let it be your view of you. It's powerful because it's powerful. It's strength because it's strength. It takes great strength to stand in that place and go, in this moment where I'm so tempted to react and my biology and everything in me is literally saying, lash out, defend yourself, protect yourself so you can get out of this situation. It takes absolute strength and courage and wisdom to pause and go, I choose love even still and infuse that moment with goodness and with beauty. That's in you. If you're wondering, that's in you, friends. That powerful kind of strength, that powerful kind of beauty, that ability to, to do that, to display that, we don't always know how, we don't always know what it looks like, but that's in you already. Sometimes it's just waiting to find a voice. Sometimes it's just waiting for the volume of your reaction to be turned down so that you can turn up the volume of that which is most true of who you are and what you have in you. Love like you're loved. It's a powerful thing. Friends, if you want to genuinely love others, Pause the reaction so that you can choose the action that you most want. In closing, can I take a moment to acknowledge, this isn't easy. 
I hate it when people talk about stuff like this and they're like, cool, got it worked out. So now you know what to do. Go live your life. Have a good time. No, this is not easy. And I just, I want to acknowledge that. It is not. I don't experience this as easy in my life at all. I don't. It is, it is easy to lash out. It is easy to let your reactions dictate your actions. It is easy to suddenly use words that are piercing and just cut through somebody because we feel wounded. It is hard to pause and say, what do I care about most here? That's a difficult thing to do. It's not always going to go well. You're going to fail at this at times. I'm going to fail at this at times, but it doesn't change the fact that it's really important and it's really good. It's in light of that that I want to offer you at least one thing. See, I can't give you a step of like, so the next time you're in that moment, here's exactly what you need to do. All of these are different. Each of these moments are so unique. I do want you to ask that question of what's important to you and then trust what God has put in you so the next time you're in that moment, it can guide you. But let me offer you this as what hopefully becomes a help to you, and it's this. Recognize that the hostile or damaging acts of another person are often just an inappropriate expression of hurt or fear. I want to say it again, because I want you to hear this. And if you're hung up or there's a moment in your life that you're struggling with, I want you to hear this. Recognize that the hostile or damaging acts of another person are often just an inappropriate expression of hurt or fear of their own hurt, of their own fear. We tend to react with more hostility when we're hurt. And we, when we find those moments, tend to react with more hostility because we start to view the other person as a monster. What'll happen is you go, but only a monster could do something so monstrous, right? Only a villain could be so vile. Only an enemy would say something like that to me. And suddenly there's a part where we, we take the words that they said and we say, that's who they are. We attribute that to all of them and we miss the fact that at moments, the hostile or damaging acts of another person are often just an inappropriate expression of hurt or fear. The reason this is important is because when you think somebody is a monster, it's easy to do monstrous stuff in return to them. When you think somebody's a villain, it's easy to be vile in return. When you recognize that there's complexity involved, when you recognize that maybe they're actually just really hurt or really afraid and that this is just inappropriate, it allows you to finally say, you know what? Maybe this isn't as much about me as I thought and maybe they're really hurt or they're really scared about something. What it does is it opens the doors in your heart and your mind back up to have compassion on another human being. We see this in Christ a lot as he navigated all kinds of moments where people were hostile and trying to trip him up and trying to do things to tear him down and accusing him of being possessed by the devil and all kinds of crazy stuff. And yet there's this compassionate response that often gets met with the people who gather around him and it doesn't suddenly, the reaction doesn't hijack his whole life. This is the same for us, friends. There was a time a few years ago where a gentleman came into to our church and I was standing in the back, never been here before, and he was really angry for the moment he stepped on campus. And, and decided he wanted to talk to somebody. And so uh, I think a, just a nervous guest services person was like, there's a pastor, talk to Ryan. You should talk to this guy because he's really angry. And so I started to talk with him. And he said, what about this? And why aren't you guys doing this? And tell me about this verse. And what do you think? And there's just this hostility. And I found myself in that moment wanting to like stand bigger and raise my voice and dig my heels and say, no, but this is why you're wrong. Or this is why this is inappropriate. Or how dare you? Or if you're going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I could feel all of that energy starting up within me. And then this moment happened. My kids got out of Kid City 
And like they do on many Sundays, came running into this room, and I never see them coming. And the three different people, the next thing I know, my youngest daughter has got her arms wrapped around my waist, and my other daughter's standing right next to her. And all of a sudden, it's like something just clicked in me. It was a weird moment. The way that I was about to engage, the way that I felt, the things that I wanted to say, or the stuff that had happened, it's like all of that suddenly faded into the background for just a moment as I found myself going, I'm pausing. Because this verse knows what it's talking Paul knows what he's talking about. Consider what, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. There's a part of it when you know you have an audience. It's not just about what's going to happen because you care about you. It's suddenly recognizing, but I also care that they see and they understand what genuine love really is, right? And I paused and found myself just looking at this person, this individual, and I said, you know, I, I can tell that in this conversation, we're probably not going to agree, but I can also tell that you've been hurt. And I can also tell that you're really frustrated. And I'm really sorry about that. And for just like half a second, <laughs> for like half a second, his demeanor softened and it looked like oh, wow, we're going to connect on something. And then all of a sudden, it's like he sucked all that energy back up and he said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I want to talk to somebody else. And I said, there's our senior pastor. Wave, Glenn. And Glenn smiled and waved. And I was like, off you go. <laughs> See, friends, you can't always control the outcome of the situation. You don't always get to like hug it out at the end of every moment. You don't always get to make everything resolve and go away. That's not the point here. It's not. The point is, who do you want to be? See, I have walked away from so many of those moments and conversations going, man, I wish I'd done something differently. Man, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't let that get a hold of me in a way that I wish I could go and do that different. And I walked away from that conversation looking at my daughters and going, I'm glad they got to see what it means to genuinely love somebody. And I'm glad they got to see some compassion shown to somebody who was having a hard time. And I hope they get to do the same in their lives. And I hope that becomes more and more true of me too. You have this in you. Who's your audience? I mean, think about this. This will help you. Helps me. If I imagine my two kids standing with me at all points in time, it helps me a lot. It's amazing the things where I was like, I don't know what to do here. Put those two next to me and I'm like, okay, this is my path. Who's your audience? Even if you have to imagine it, who's the person that if they were standing there with you, you'd find yourself going, wait, I'm going to pause now. This matters to me. Let that guide you. Let that take the beautiful thing that God's already doing in you and let it move through you that you might infuse goodness and beauty into what is otherwise a hard situation or a moment of evil or hardship or hurt. Friends, there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes along our way. Not because I'm fatalistic or saying life's going to be terrible. There's going to be beautiful moments and there's going to be hard moments. I hope that at the end of the day, you find yourself going, I ask myself the question, who do I want to be? I paused in my reaction so that it didn't dictate my actions. And I've got a lot to learn, but I'm a little proud of what just happened here. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Maybe true of you. Maybe true of me. Maybe true of us as a church. Let's pray. God, we come before you. We recognize that, man, it's easy to react. <laughs> it really is, God. It's easy to lash out. It's easy to defend. It's easy to do a whole host, whole host of things here throughout all of our lives. And so, God, we pray for compassion. <laughs> pray for patience. Pray for perspective. And we pray for pause. Courage to pause. Strength, Lord to pause. I pray for each and every person in this room. I pray for each and every person who watches this service online. God, will you open up all of our eyes to just the, the amount of strength that you have put in us? 
Will you open up our eyes and our hearts to recognize the gumption and the courage that you have put in us through the way you have loved us? And may it be a powerful expression as we seek to love others forward even still. We love you. We praise you. We thank you that we get to be a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, friends. We'll see you soon.